1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 5. You will find this on page 1598. Page 1598. We'll be reading verses 25 through 28 as we come to the end of this book that we've been dealing with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, reading verses 25 through 28. Brethren, pray for us. Greet all the brethren with a holy kiss. I charge you by the Lord that this epistle be read to all the holy brethren. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Amen. Well, my friends, we come now to the last few verses of this Pauline epistle. Pauline, written by the Apostle Paul, but also by uh, Silas and Timothy, but primarily by the Apostle Paul. And as we look then at verses over the next uh, three times, uh, Lord willing, at verses 25 through 27, we're dealing with duties of holiness. Duties of holiness. The focus here is on various duties of holiness, meaning demonstrating, holiness meaning demonstrating that we are set apart unto God talked about this before and ladies you may have a special dress that you're reserved just for a particular occasion maybe even a wedding dress for example you never know and don't wear that all the time it's a holy dress because it's been set apart for a special use and so therefore that's what holiness means we're set apart unto God meaning we're supposed to be pure but Fundamentally, we are set apart. And that's what they're talking about here. Matter of fact, even here, we, we, we see in verses 26 and 27, both those verses, the word holy is used. And as we, therefore, as we engage in these duties of holiness, there will then be a special blessing upon us. Matter of fact, that special blessing we will see in a separate message uh, on, in terms of the benediction, which is verse 28. Now, prayer, my friends, is one of those challenging duties. And I want to make clear, it is a duty. We are called upon to pray. We are expected to pray. We are commanded to pray. Indeed, right here, Paul explicitly says, brethren, he commands us, brethren, pray for us. And it's challenging and it's tough. Because we are so earthbound. We're so much in terms of our minds and we we get caught up in so many things, do we not? We get caught up in so many things in this world that we forget about the heavenly perspective. 
So it's challenging. It's tough. It's difficult. And so many times we get distracted. How many times has the phone rung? Or how many times have we gotten distracted by looking at the, the internet or television or whatever it may be? And it's as if we're doing anything but praying. So it is a duty, difficult duty in many ways, a challenging duty, and yet it is so much more than a mere duty. It is a conversation with God. It is a pouring out of our hearts before God. Even as we, we sang from Psalm 6, or even from Psalm 22 for that matter, the pouring out, you see, those were originally prayers they're put into the Psalter then they, they function not as prayers per se, they function as, as songs for us to sing but nevertheless you can still hear that, that petition you can still hear that pouring out of one's heart which is what prayer is all about and so it's pouring out our hearts before God it is a mean, just, just like coming to a heavenly father, just like you come to your earthly father you see, when you're in trouble, you come to your parent, don't you? You come to your mother or you come to your father, one of the two. And we have a heavenly father before whom we come. It is a means of grace. It is a vehicle by which the spirit works in our hearts. But more than that, my friends, it is a method by which the world can be changed. Is that amazing? So, let's look then today at this plea for prayer. That's the first point of this three-part series, plea for prayer. The very first word is interesting. It's not brethren. It is in the emphatic position. And, of course, when he says uh, brethren, he's, he's including the cistern, the, the sisters as well. Not just the brothers, but the sisters. It's in the emphatic position to emphasize it, to get our attention. It, of course, implies a family relationship. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And we, uh, we see this, of course, um, uh, in terms of uh, the very beginning of 1 Thessalonians, verse 1, to the church of the Thessalonians and God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And, of course, there were... There were women and there were men included in that, but here the emphasis is on the family dimension. It implies a family relationship. It implies a relationship of love. May I be so bold as to say that one of the reasons why the church grew in the Roman Empire when it was persecuted, we may face persecution as folks up in Canada are being persecuted today, and increasingly in this country and certainly around the world, we're seeing the church being persecuted. How did the church overcome that opposition? Was it by getting out their, their swords? No. It was by the sword of the Spirit. It was by weapons of the heart, you see. It was by showing love and compassion. Indeed, to all people, it was by picking up the, the babies that went on the, out on, on the hillsides that were abandoned by the Romans by picking them up 
and adopting them into the family. It was by welcoming slaves and others who were low on the, the socioeconomic uh, strata by welcoming them and saying, you also are important because we're all brothers and sisters, you see. And so, and it, so it was by means of that love that that's largely what defeated the Roman Empire, what conquered the Roman Empire in many ways. Yes, she had the Germanic tribes and so forth, but in terms of Christianity, that's why it was conquered. They couldn't, the, the, the Roman authorities at the end of the day who were trying to do this by force were not successful because of the example given by the Christians. And so it's in that context then that he says, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us. Now this is a common term in Paul's writings, 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 1, the next epistle to the Thessalonians, finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. Pray for us. Romans uh, 15, Romans uh, 15 and uh, verse uh, 30, uh, Romans uh, 15 and uh, verse 30. Now I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me, that I may be delivered from those who, in Judea who do not believe and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, that I may come to you with joy by the will of God and may be refreshed together with you. In Ephesians chapter 6, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 19, praying, verse 18, praying with all prayer and supplication of spirit, being watchful to send with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, verse 19, and for me, that utterance, speech may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak, while in prison, that I might be able to speak. So he was chained to that Roman, <coughs> Roman soldier guarding him. There were people who, they were Roman soldiers who converted to the gospel because they were chained to the Apostle Paul. Isn't that amazing? Even those, as Paul would say in one place, those of Caesar's household. What an amazing thing, what power, if you will, in terms of the gospel. And so Paul is asking for prayer in terms of this. And Colossians uh, 4, verse 3, Colossians 4, verse 3, where Paul writes, uh, verse 2, continue earnestly in prayer, being vigilant in it with thanksgiving, careful, diligent in it with thanksgiving, Meanwhile, praying also for us, that God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery in Christ, for which I am also in chains. Now, first of all, why then would Paul and his company, why would they ask for prayer for themselves? Well, for one thing, this is a humble acknowledgement of weakness. This is a humble acknowledgement of weakness. Second, 
Corinthians 11.29, Paul says, Who is weak? And I am not weak. Who is made to stumble? And I do not burn with indignation. It's a humble acknowledgement of his own weakness and his need, therefore. So that's number one. That's why I ask you for prayer. We're in need. But secondly, the sufferings and the hardships, the sufferings and the hardships which he and his fellow missionaries were experiencing. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this, but the sufferings and the hardships that they were going through. Thirdly, the knowledge of the efficacy or the effectiveness, the power of prayer. Now, today we had read for us from Exodus chapter 17. Very interesting uh, passage in terms of dealing with uh, Amalek, the battle against uh, the Amalekites, against Amalek. And you'll notice at the end of the, towards the end of the chapter, uh, Moses uh, was out there. Uh, Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. So it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevails, a sign, a symbol of praying, praying, and he went, went, he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed, but Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone, put it under him, and he sat on it, and Aaron and hers supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other side, and his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. Isn't that amazing? And then also from um, James uh, chapter 5. James chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. We also see something of the effectiveness of the power of prayer. James uh, chapter 5 uh, verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. In other words, the point being this is the way to get relief. Let him pray. Is anyone uh, rejoicing? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective Fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And then uh, James gives the example. Elijah, the prophet Elijah, was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the land for three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth produced its fruit. Isn't that amazing? Now, this, is, this was not arbitrary, because... Elijah, you see, if you look at Deuteronomy 28, you see very clearly that this was all part of God's, this was to be God's judgment upon the people who rejected him, that there would be a drought. Okay, So he was praying in accord with Scripture. But in doing so, in calling upon God to be faithful to his word, it had an effect. That's why James says here, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much if it's done in faith, and particularly if it's done in accordance with the word of God. So, acknowledgement of weakness, 
sufferings and hardships they were experiencing, the knowledge of the effectiveness of prayer. Fourthly, their willingness to be that identified as one of the brethren. So Paul doesn't pull rank on them, so to speak, say, well, I'm an apostle, and I'm commanding you to do this, you see. No, he says, brethren. Yes, it's a command, but it's a way of saying we're all in this together. Brethren, pray for us. We're all among the brethren. And then also, why does he, why, why do they ask for prayer for themselves? Because more people should pray for their ministers. And it's true. More people should pray for their ministers. But then the question is, for what would prayer be, <coughs> be requested? For what would prayer be requested? When thinking about this, <coughs> first of all, I would say for strength for their tasks. For strength for their tasks. Physical strength, first of all, we could say. I mean, Paul was a tent maker. Uh, if you know anything about making uh, heavy fabric, you know, and so forth, canvas, um, or whatever the tents were made of back then, uh, that requires a bit of strength. And Paul was one who was willing to work with his hands, so he had a lot of strength, a lot of energy in, uh, that went into that, so he needs physical strength. Moreover, he took long and difficult journeys, so he needs physical strength in that regard as well. But they also needed spiritual strength. We know that Satan loves to attack ministers. And therefore, they should pray that Paul and the others would be able to withstand the assaults, the attacks from the devil, these spiritual attacks. But also for mental strength, mental strength, to be able to think God's thoughts after him, to reflect the thinking of God. Of course, Paul was a brilliant man, a brilliant thinker, one of the most brilliant men in, in antiquity or in any age for that matter. Nevertheless, he still needed the work of the Spirit in his heart to enable him to see those things and also, therefore, to think theologically. Thinking, you know, theology is complicated sometimes. It's difficult sometimes. And so you need mental ability as well. So for strength for their tasks. But then, secondly, for protection. For protection. And there are numerous times when the Apostle Paul was uh, attacked. And um, one of those places that I, uh, uh, that I think of uh, is in uh, Acts uh, chapter 14 at Lystra, where uh, Paul, um, where um, uh, Paul uh, was uh, preaching the gospel there, and, um, and Barnabas, and uh, you remember that the people at one point, what did they do? They the people wanted to offer offer worship to them, and Paul said, "No, no, no, don't do that." You know, we're just men and so forth. Why are you doing these things? And so they, they, um, they restrain the multitudes from sacrificing them. But then what happens? Talk about fickle people. Then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there. And having persuaded the multitudes, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. 
That's only one occasion where that sort of thing happened, that physical attack. And so for protection then, that Paul would not be subject to such things, but also protection from spiritual attacks as well. You know, the third John, we don't think about third John very much. So you got first John, second John, third John, just before Jude and Revelation. In third John, John writes, verses nine and ten, I wrote to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to have the preeminence among them, does not receive us. Therefore, if I come, I will call to mind his deeds which he does, prating against us, speaking against us with malicious words, and not content with that. He himself does not receive the brethren, and forbids those who wish to, putting them out of the church. Spiritual attack. There you find it with regard to John, but you also find it, of course, with regard to Paul. Second Timothy, Second Timothy, uh, chapter three. Second Timothy, chapter three, verses fourteen through sixteen. Paul writes, Second Timothy three. Sorry, I've got the wrong passage there, but the, the passage that I was looking for, the passage that I was looking for in terms of this, uh, had to do, uh, had to do with, uh, uh, with uh, Demetrius, had to do with Demetrius, who was, um, who was uh, stirring up trouble with regard to Paul. And so that was, again, an example of those spiritual attacks. So, for protection as well as for strength, and then thirdly, for boldness in proclaiming the gospel. For boldness in proclaiming the gospel. That is to say, not being ashamed of the gospel. Not being ashamed of the gospel. I'm sorry, let me go back to the one I just had. It was 2 Timothy 4. 2 Timothy 4, verses 14 through 16. Alexander the coppersmith, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must beware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. At my first offense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me may it not be charged against them. So 2 Timothy 4, in terms of these spiritual attacks, by, in this case by Alexander the coppersmith, again, trying to stir up trouble and trying to undermine. So for strength, for protection, for boldness in proclaiming the gospel, not being ashamed of the gospel, not apologizing for it, not being weak or wishy-washy, Fourthly, what should prayer be requested for? For wisdom in ministry, knowing how to apply scripture. Knowing how to apply scripture. And fifthly, for blessing upon the ministry. For blessing upon the ministry. So we want to pray then that the gospel would have good effect in the lives of people. That is to say, that as the gospel is proclaimed, that men and women and 
boys and girls would come to faith and repentance. We also pray that the gospel may be spread over the whole earth. In Acts chapter 9, you remember that remember that the Lord Jesus told the disciple there in Damascus to go and baptize Saul, this man who had been persecuting church Saul, the Apostle Paul, he became. Why? Because he was going to bear my name to the Gentiles. He was going to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so we pray then that the gospel may be spread over the whole earth. In that regard, we pray that the kingdom may be built and the church made a praise in all the earth. Isaiah 62, verses 6 and 7. They shall never hold their peace day or night. You who make mention of the Lord do not keep silent and give him no rest. Give God no rest. That's an interesting phrase. Wear him out. Give God no rest till he establishes until he makes Jerusalem a praise in the earth. Keep on knocking like uh, that uh, widow in the, the parable that Jesus told, that widow that, that went to the unjust judge and kept on, kept on bothering him until he finally granted her request. That's sort of the picture you have here. Give God no rest. As the Puritans would say, storm the gates of heaven. Storm the gates of heaven. That the kingdom may be built and the church be made a praise in all the earth. Also that God's power then would be revealed. Just a couple of chapters later, Isaiah 64. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens, tear open the heavens. That thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might shake at thy presence. As fire burns brushwood, as fire causes water to boil, to make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When thou didst awesome things through which we did not look, thou camest down, the mountains shook at thy presence. For since the, found, the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides thee who acts for the one who waits for him. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens to show thy glory. Isn't this what happened in Acts chapter 4? Remember when, when uh, the, in, the uh, disciples were uh, being persecuted? Acts 4, 23 and following, when they heard about what it, the chief priests and elders had said to them, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, Thou art God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them, who by the mouth thy servant David has said, Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord, against his Christ. For truly against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose determined before to be done. Now, Lord, look on their threats and grant to thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word by stretching out thy hand to heal, that signs and wonders may be done through the name of thy holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. 
and they spoke the word of God with boldness. That's a fulfillment, is it not, of what we see in Isaiah 64. Oh, that thou wouldst rend the heavens. They poured out their hearts. They called for God to do something glorious, to reveal his power. And so it was done there in that room in Acts chapter 4. And of course, not only in that room, but as the gospel went forth, it went forth with power and authority. And so why should we pray for strength, for protection, for boldness, for wisdom, for blessing upon the ministry, and finally for encouragement. And to look back again at 2 Timothy 4 then, now verses 8 through 10. 2 Timothy 4, be diligent, verses uh, 8 through 10. <coughs> finally there is laid up to me for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give me to the, give to me on that day and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing be diligent be careful be quick to come to me quickly for Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica Christians for Galatia Titus for Dalmatia verse 11 only Luke is with me get Mark and bring him with you for he is useful to me for ministry. You think the Apostle Paul ever got discouraged? A little bit, maybe? Yeah, he could get discouraged. Be diligent to come to me quickly. For Demas has forsaken, having loved this present world. Only Luke is with me. And so pray for your ministers for encouragement. Now, three points of application. The first is this. Be sure to engage in prayer every day. Be sure to engage in prayer every day. Prayer is essential to the Christian just as breathing is to every human being. Now, children, do not stop breathing, okay? This is not going to end well. And folks, do not stop praying. It is a natural impulse for every true believer. It's a natural impulse. As you wake up, as you go to sleep, whatever. Furthermore, engaging in intercessory prayer will be a blessing to your soul. And so, as you bless the Lord, the Lord blesses your soul. But also notice that intercession is used by God to change things. Intercession is used by God to change things. And you remember in Exodus chapter 2, if you, if you look at Exodus chapter 2, you remember what happened there uh, in, terms of the, uh, in terms of the children of Israel. They were in bondage in Egypt. What did they do? They cried unto the Lord for deliverance. And he heard them. And he sent Moses. Intercession is used by God to change things. And so therefore, be sure to engage in prayer every day. Number two, be sure to pray for your leaders. There is a duty, you see, to pray not just for yourself, but to pray for others. And do not, then, do not be selfish 
in your prayers. Don't just be focused on you, but be sure to pray for others as well. And the third, the third point of application is this. Join in the agony of prayer. Join in the agony of prayer. This was Paul's experience. In, Paul, in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 8 and 9, talked about, well, he talked about the thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet, to beat me, lest I be exalted above measure. Verse 8, concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. So Paul prayed, and the Lord said to me, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But this was not a pleasant thing. He was in agony. And he, he prayed, you say, in agony. Galatians 4, verse 19. My little children, for whom I labor in birth again, until Christ is formed in you. There's an agony to prayer. There's a pain to prayer. This was David's experience. If you look, we can look at a number of places, but if you look at, at Psalm 13, just for a moment, if you look at Psalm 13, um, in Psalm uh, 13, in Psalm 13, in verse 2, the end of verse 2, how long will my enemy be exalted over me? The psalmist was in agony. David was in agony. How long? How long? But notice more than that, look at the beginning of verse 2. How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? So it was something that was in his soul. He was struggling. It wasn't, it wasn't just this life and death struggle with his enemy. It was a struggle within himself. And then look back at verse 1. How long, O Lord, wilt thou forget me forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? He was also wrestling with God. There's agony in prayer. My friends, this is, we might say, battle prayer, this intercessory prayer. It is battle prayer, and it's a life and death struggle. As we are facing not only internal struggles, not only perhaps our fears, our afflictions, but also the world and the devil, we must and how many times how many times have we been so not exactly flippant but so casual if someone says well be sure to pray for me okay sometimes I will say to one of my students on responding to an email. One of my GGC students, I'll respond and I'll say, please know this is a company with prayer. So I pause and I do pray 
through whatever that student has been going through or whatever. And that's fine. But when Paul is saying these things, and Paul in the context of Scripture, like dealing with David, when he's saying, brethren, pray for us, it's, brethren, pray for us. Pray for us, you see. Because it's a life and death struggle in which they were engaged because this is, this is the, the battle. This is the war between God and Satan, between Christ and Satan. This has to do with eternal salvation. This has to do with heaven or hell. This has to do with the kingdom of Christ. This has to do with the persecution of those who are the followers of Jesus, so that the devil, having not been able to destroy Jesus, is so angry with the rest of the seed of the woman, Revelation 12, that he tries to flood, tries to send out a flood, as it were, to destroy the, tra- the church, the followers of Jesus. That's the world in which we live. And it's in that world that Paul and Silas and Timothy say, Brethren, pray for us. And as you do, my friends, do so based on what Jesus went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he cried out, as he sweated, as we read in Luke 22 today, as he sweated great drops of blood. It wasn't just sweat, it was blood that was expelled from him in anticipation of his going to the cross by which he would cry, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And so as we pray in this life and death struggle for the ministers, for the church as a whole, we do so based upon what Jesus went through and the agony of his prayer. May we indeed by faith be dependent upon him, not looking at our prayers as somehow meriting anything, but simply the means by which we pour out our hearts before God and pray for the coming of his kingdom. Amen. Will you please stand for prayer? And our Father, we pray that thy Holy Spirit would take this word and would apply it to our hearts so that the Lord Jesus would get all the glory. We thank thee for it, Lord. We thank thee for this opportunity for worship. Accept our worship. And give us the spirit of prayer. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.